0: Holy Spirit, would you um, give us ears to hear this morning? I pray that you would come and you would uh, would just clear our minds, you would uh, declutter our, our minds in this moment. Jesus, we want to say with all of our heart that we're here, we're here for you. We're here ultimately because of what you've done, but we're here this morning, we just want to say we're here for you. So would you, uh, I pray it just be, just an increasing sense of your presence among us as we as we continue to learn together, as we continue to seek you together, as we as we grow together, a journey together, continued recognition as we go on of how we need you and how we need one another. As you continue to form us in your likeness, and so I pray that there would be a sense this morning, Jesus, that that you, that you have, that you have permission just to. To continue to uh, to to sharpen us and to mould us and shape us. In Jesus' name, Amen. I don't know if there's uh, I don't know if there's any cricket fans in the in the room, but uh, every time every time in, in cricket the highlight for a batsman is whenever they score a hundred runs. And they score 100 runs, and the crowds go wild, and they raise their bat in acknowledgement of, uh, of all that's going on. Many blank looks at me, but I know Ian knows what I'm talking about at least. But I'm saying all of that, not for, it's not really an illustration, you don't have to worry. But there is a, a, not as much excitement, but there's a level of excitement when a batsman reaches 50. And there's the same, there's the, there's the cheering of the crowd, there's an acknowledgement that they've got that far. And they're being cheered on to keep going. And so, Nigel, as you reach 50 today, brother, we are cheering you on. Uh, we, are, we are acknowledging you and cheering you on to the 100. Uh, you've only got halfway, and you've still got another 50 to go before you. So, uh, so, Father, would you bless them in Jesus' name? Um, this, is, uh, this is what we started last week. If it comes up, great. If not, uh, trust me, this is where we're going to be looking. The question we're going to be asking, some thoughts that we really want to really probe one another with over the next number of months, church. If you think of what it is to gather here this morning, the, the question maybe that you've already asked as you were maybe trying to get the kids ready, as they were kicking and screaming, trying to put their shoes on, maybe you've asked that question already today, why bother? And, uh, or, or maybe it could, be for any, it could be for any reason, maybe it could just be coming from a pure place. For me, it's, uh, it, that, that's a wee bit where I've asked myself, I've, I feel like I've been right along the whole journey. Like I was listening to Amy talking about uh, our heart for our kids. Like, I, I'm so glad that they're here with us this morning. The truth was, I got to, i was still about about seventeen or eighteen. Whenever I was still wanting to know why I had to still come and be part of church, I got to that stage of my teenage life that I was just like, seriously, why bother? And, uh, and there's times where, where where church is in her messiness, times where it just just seems so ugly, and you ask the question, why bother? And uh, all sorts of reasons, possibly, why we are left asking that question, and that's what we want to we want to go after. And and so last Sunday morning, we, we wanted to anchor, we wanted to anchor our our thoughts. So much of what we want to say over the next number of months, we want to have an anchor point. We want to have some anchor points throughout it. And the in fact, the whole letter of Paul to the Church in Ephesus is the blueprint for what it is to be the Church. But it was chapter 3, it was the first 11 or 12 verses of chapter 3 that we, that we looked at last, last, uh, last Sunday morning. And I'm not going to read all 12 verses again this morning, but it is, uh, it's worth just highlighting them again that that is an anchor point for us throughout this. What, what Paul is doing here in, in this letter, it's, it's incredible. It truly is remarkable. What, what Paul is, is reminding the church in Ephesus, who they are. And ultimately, as we read on today, who, who we are. In Ephesians chapter 2, in fact, Ephesians chapter 1 is these stunning, stunning verses. Now, I don't, attend, I don't intend to spend too long here. I don't even necessarily want to go here. But it's hard to mention the whole letter without, uh, without going to the first chapter. Because from after his greeting, there's there's uh, what is it? It's 11 or 12 verses from verses 3 to 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. Now, does everybody know that we're in Ephesians? Is that all right? We're in Ephesians chapter 1. I have to uh, ask your forgiveness. Last week, I was in chapter 3, and, and apparently, I didn't tell you what book we were in. Uh, forgive me for that. And so, if I overplay Ephesians today. You'll also have to forgive me for that. Ephesians chapter one, verses three to 14. And so in our Bibles, it's 11 11 or 12 uh, verses, but in the original, it's just this one uh, long sentence of Paul's uh, over-the-top enthusiasm for what it is to be in Christ, what it means to be adopted into him. What it means to be chosen in him, to be loved by him, to be set apart for him, and and it's this one long enthusiastic cry of Paul's heart. And it begins to unravel that a wee bit for us over the next over the next few chapters, and chapter two tells us that it, it was never it was this isn't the way it's always been, but but Jesus came and the cross meant that the wall of hostility has been broken. The thing that divided us has now been broken and the two have become one. And then we get to these incredible verses in chapter three. And Paul is saying to the church and he's saying to us today, Do you know what? It, this was not always known. If you ever want to go back into some of, those, some of the, uh, the Old Testament, if you want to go back and say, like, how did they miss it? The truth is. Give them a bit of slack because this is stuff that was not always known. Paul is saying this was mystery that has been revealed today. This is mystery that is being revealed to us now through the holy apostles and prophets. And the mystery is that the Gentiles, those who were furthest away, those who were those who were the most further away from, from what it was to be a person of God, to be a part of the people of God, they are now welcomed in. They are now. Uh, part of the body. They are sharers together in the promise of Jesus. And and this is huge. This is really big news. And Paul goes on to talk about this mystery. He goes on to talk about what this secret, this secret, it almost feels like there's been this anticipation in the, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit holding on from the beginning to make this revelation known now. The secret from the beginning is that God's wisdom, and here it is in verse 10, that God's wisdom in all of its rich variety was to be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms through the church, through the church. And that's really important that that is our anchor point. Because anytime we're starting to drift away, anytime we're starting to question what it is to be a part of the of the ecclesia, what it is to be part of the body of Christ, the building that he is building, the bride that he is forming, we go back to this place and remind ourselves that this was his eternal purpose from the very beginning. This was a thing that he was holding on for that now, that now we would step into it, that now we would walk into it, that his wisdom is being made known everywhere. And it's being made known in all of its rich variety, in all of its diversity through the church. And it's going to be made known to the watching world. And it's going to be made known to the supernatural world beyond. And it's really important. And I know so much of what I'm saying is repeating it from, from, uh, from last week, but it's just continuing to get a hold of me. And so you need to forgive me for if this, some of this becomes repetitive, but I think it's really important that this is where we are grounding this. And we said last week that by forming what, what the wisdom of God is, that he is forming a diverse, he is forming a community out of diverse members. And I love looking around the room today and seeing that this is, the, this is confirmation of the wisdom of God. This is the wisdom of God being made manifest this morning. Is forming a community out of diverse members and we now have the opportunity. We have been charged to capture the attention of a watching world and even the supernatural world beyond that is catching the attention of the rulers and the authorities in, in, the, in the heavenly realms. That's, that's what's going on here. And so we're gonna, we want to go deep. We want to we we stretch this conversation wide. We want to get into the stuff that is really, can be really difficult and really messy. But ultimately, we want to say, remember this. In all that we're saying, remember this. This is his wisdom this morning. Everywhere that the, the body is gathering all over Rich Hill today, all over our nation. And that's the manifold wisdom of God being made manifest in all of its rich variety. And so by forming this community of diverse members, We have the opportunity. We have been charged. And Paul reminds us over and over again, you've been charged with this. You've been charged to live this out, church, so that you'll capture the attention of a watching world. And so I want to show you a couple of photographs this morning, tell you a couple of things about what has been going on uh, just in the last seven days. And it's really helped me to continue to ask this question, to continue to push into this, why bother? And so on uh, on Monday night, some of us were part of this. Some of us were a a part of seeing glimpses of what it is to form a community out of diverse members that capture the attention of a watching world. And so on Monday night, uh, as I say, some of you were with us. Some of you couldn't be there. Uh, and it was it was just great for me to send some of the videos and the prayers and see that there was even though some couldn't be there you're still engaging with this really important for us uh, as a church to be continuing to engage with what it is that is going on around our nation and so friends of ours had organized a night in St. Anne's Cathedral down in Belfast and this was this was one of those moments this was one of those moments that we were called to nail before the Lord and there was no there was no political statement that night. It was just it was just a crying out to the Lord, for the state, for the soul of our nation. And so however many of us there was, the place was the place was full, and, and this was the picture that I wanted to show you this morning. The, the, the like as I was engaging with people in so many different parts of this building from from all streams, all denominations, all sorts of backgrounds gathered together. To form this diversity of people, the diverse community of, of people. And again, if you've been on social media at all, I think you'll have been. It would have been hard for you to miss what took place on a Friday night up in Stormont, and it pushed it pushed what went on here even further. And so I don't know how long the stretch is, but that is they reckon. They reckon based on whatever sort of algorithm they use, there's up to 20,000 people were part of this event at the Stormont uh, Estate on Friday. And once again, people from all faiths, from all backgrounds, from all walks, all denominations gathering together uh, for what's going on. And as I, watch my, as I watch my social media feed from Friday, and even today, it continues to be dominated by this story because it's caught the attention of a watching world. And part of me, part of me has been enthused by that. Part of me is, is aching for us to see it everywhere else. As I think of the kids, you know our heart. You can't be around this place too long without knowing our heart for the vulnerable, for, the, for, for, for kids who need a home. And so that's, that's, that's what I love to see. I love to see whenever the, the, the church is calling are, are reminding of the responsibility that, that the Lord has entrusted to us, that we'd forget so many of those secondary issues that, that, that cause us to divide, that cause us to become tribal, and we gather together because that's what we've been charged with, to capture the attention of the watching world. We we're part of an event, a few of us, and thanks Kirsty we We're part of an event on Thursday again once again gathering with with church leaders from all right across right across the church spectrum to say what would it be look like if we were to gather our all our families together in a place just to just to worship, just to cry out to the lord as as uh, as part of the wider body of Christ. It was encouraging. It was so wonderful to be a part of that conversation. And then yesterday, again, most of you, I think, will know that we, uh, we hosted an event up at the castle yesterday for, uh, for Home for Good. Home for Good, the, the charity that we are, as a church family, you've, you've given this morning and part of what you give is to continue to develop and bless the work of Home for Good uh, in Northern Ireland. And so we were able to gather with 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 sixty, seventy uh, people yesterday at the castle, um, adoptive carers, foster families, and this was the message that uh, this is the message I received from uh, Malini, who is the the lead, Northern Ireland lead for Home for Good, here, and um, just thanking those that were involved, and then. T- t- Towards the end of our message, the day was a blessing for many in many ways. What a privilege to have such encouraging conversations. There was a family who came down that are thinking about adoption or fostering, and they were just there to connect. There's a lady there that is considering becoming a champion of the work. There was church leaders that were there wanting to open doors uh, for Home for Good. There was a baby and mummy placement that was at the castle yesterday. And we cannot underestimate, and Melanie closes with this, we cannot underestimate what God does through the ordinary as we just make space for family. We cannot underestimate what God does as we make space for family. It just feels like that's been some of what has been going on this week. There There was no... political statement. There was, no, there was no protest necessarily at these events. It was gathering together and making space for God to do what only he can do. Making space for, for God to do what he, he can do as we, um, as we gather together as a family. And so as we think of the word church, it's this word, it's this Greek word that we, we touch, touched on last week, the ecclesia. Ecclesia, I'd love you to become familiar with that word. It's the word that, again, as I said last week, Jesus, it's meant, the word church is mentioned three times. In the gospel, Jesus mentions church, and it's this word ecclesia. It's the word that Paul mentions. It's the word that Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It's the ecclesia, it's through the manifold wisdom of God. that the, uh, It's through the church, through the ecclesia, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And just to remind you what that looks like, what that means, the Ecclesia, we go, if we were to go back, the Greek, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, or Old Testament, uses this word Ecclesia whenever, whenever the people of God gather. And so when, when Moses gathered the people, it was the Ecclesia. It was the, it was the people that were called out for the welfare of a town, a village, a region, or a nation. And, that, and that's why we want to talk about this over these next weeks because I think for a lot of us we need just to widen widen our picture, widen our understanding of what the church is, who we are, what it means to be part of the church because what it has always meant from the very beginning, what it's always meant is that it's a called out people. It is a people called out. It is a, it is a family on mission. It is a family called out for the welfare of, of a town, a village, a region, or a nation. And that's why I've loved being part of the Ecclesia this week. I love being part of this this morning. I, I love this. I need this. As I said last week, I want to give the rest of my life to this. And, uh, but to be part of, to be part of that in a, in a bigger context this week has been Beautiful. Because it's been a reminder to me that we are a people called out. No matter where we are gathering, whether it's in St. Anne's Cathedral or at the gates of Stormont or in a, in a little room in a church in Lisbon or at, at Ballyard's Castle in Armagh, where it doesn't matter. We're a st- the fact is we're, that we're a people called out. We've been the church wherever we've been this week. You have been the church wherever you've been this week. Because the call on you this morning, and the call on you as you enter into your week tomorrow, is that you are a people that have been sent. You are a people who have been called out for the welfare of wherever it is that you find yourself. And that has been the mandate. That has been the mandate on the people of God right from Genesis chapter twelve. It's been the mandate actually right from the beginning. But it was. It, but, but, Abraham was given the mandate in uh, Genesis 12. Abraham, I'm going to bless you in order that you will be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to call you out. I'm going to call you out from from Ur of the Chaldeans. I'm going to call you out, you and your family. And you're going to go, and I'm going to bless you. But the intention is that you're being called out for the welfare of a nation, for the nation's. And that is the call that is still on the people of God today. Called out for the welfare of your family, of your neighborhood, your region, your nation. Church is relationship. Church is a relationship. Whether it's relationship with God, with each other, or with the watching world that we are talking about this morning. Church is a relationship. It's not a place it's not our. It's not our programs, and those things are good, and those things are important. Like we couldn't do without this place today. In some ways, we. Well, I shouldn't say we we couldn't do without it. I'm almost, I'll be contradicting myself if I say that. It's really helpful. It's really helpful to have a place to meet. It's really have, helpful to have programs to put on. But for the last number of years, I'm talking about the last few hundred years, we've become so reliant on our buildings and our programs. And I think back to what Peter said in First Peter chapter two, that we are a holy nation. We are a royal priesthood, people that have been called to bring people from darkness into his wonderful light. And I've just been so challenged by this verse as, the, as Peter goes on as we think of uh, the context we find ourselves in at different events this week. Peter says, live good lives, live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, Peter's saying the same thing here. You're charged, you're being given the responsibility as this royal priesthood, this holy nation, this chosen people to to live in such a way, to live in such a way that the unbelievers would watch on and even though they accuse you of doing wrong which many are doing this week and many continue to do they would see your good deeds and eventually when the Lord comes back they would glorify him they would acknowledge him on the day that God comes to visit us and so over again you probably hear this language to be a Christian is to be in Christ Paul has reminded us of that in the first chapter of Ephesians to be a Christian is to be in Christ. And you'll hear again from Paul several times, to be in Christ is to be in the body of Christ. Many members making up the one body. And so if we're a Christian, we're in Christ. If we're in Christ, we're in the body of Christ. And if we're in the body of Christ, we are, we are in the ordinary church family. To be in the body of Christ is to be in an ordinary church family. And so again, the question I asked last week and will continue to ask over the weeks and months is do you whenever it comes to this question, do you tolerate do you tolerate her or do you love her? The way Jesus, I think of how Jesus described his relationship with us with the church, loved himself and gave himself up for her. And even though it would let him down, and even though it would betray him, even though it would reject him, uh, he still will not abandon the church. He will still not divorce his bride. He will not do it. He loves himself and he gives himself up for her. And so I'm wondering, do we tolerate her or do we love her? Do we see ourselves as the living stone, these these these, these building blocks of of the spiritual building blocks that are being built up into a spiritual house, as Peter says. Do we see ourselves as the as the as the body? Do we see ourselves as the bride? And so the, in the time that we have left today, I just want to suggest to you the answer to that question is I think depends on your way of seeing. It depends on your way of seeing. I don't know if this analogy is going to be helpful, but stick with me. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it will make sense. I read about, I don't know how I came across it, because I'm, I'm not that interested in watches. In saying that, Judith got me this watch a couple of years ago, and it's the longest time I've ever had a watch for. But before World War II, um, before World War II, the Swiss the Swiss held almost ninety percent of the watch market. And then, in the I found out that in the sixties, they they owned about uh, seven no, sorry, sixty percent in the seventies. And then, by the time it got to the early eighties, it was below ten percent. And so this watch of mine is powered by a battery, electronically driven, and uh, the quartz watch was invented in the late 60s, early 70s, and they put that down to what was going on with the hold that the Swiss had on the watch market. And so these type of watches, the Swiss had their way of doing it, the, the traditional way of watchmaking. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but the, I suppose the gears and the cogs and the winding it up, and that was their way of making it. And so when they were presented with the quartz watch, they rejected it. When they were presented with the opportunity to invest or to, or to m- develop this product, they weren't interested they refused They refused to adjust, and, and this was this is where I try to make the analogy. They just it, it was because of how they seen. They couldn't see its potential. They were only viewing through the lens of this traditional paradigm. Their response, their response was based on how they were seen. And sometimes and I've used that analogy this week, because sometimes whenever we look at the church. We we view it through a, a traditional lens. We it, we view it through a traditional paradigm. See, these watchmakers, they were they they had, they had at one stage not that long ago they had they had ninety percent of the market. They knew the way to do things. They did what they would always known. They continued how it had always been done. And so whenever they looked and seen something new or something different, they couldn't, they, they rejected it. They refused to adjust. And I think it was just for me, I just have been been challenged by my by the lens that I look at the church with. So if I was to go around the room today, if I was to ask that question to you before before this morning, maybe some of the response would be, how do you see the church? Whenever you look at the church, what do you see? And maybe not, it wouldn't work in this context, but for many of us, I think we'd say it's the sanctuary, it's the pulpit, it's the pews, it's the, it's the seats, it's the clergy, it's the ministers, the priests. And maybe for some of us, it's just impossible to think of church without all of those little bits. We've viewed it through this traditional paradigm that we find it impossible to think of church or to see the church without the sanctuary, the pulpit, the pews, the clergy. It makes me think of a conversation that I had with one of the guys that was at, uh, was up at the castle yesterday. Paul, he's a pastor of a congregational church in Strade. Which I had to find out—that was three mile outside of Ballyclare—and uh, and so Paul is leading this church, and there, the conversations in the church at the minute are about renovating their sanctuary, about do, building their sanctuary. And as we continued the conversation, you could tell that there was just a wrestling going on, because for so for, for Paul, he's South African, and for him, he's, he grew up in his early faith as a missionary in South Africa. And so being part of different townships and, 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 and all he knew being part of the church was gathering around, uh, gathering around the tree, the big tree in the, local, in the local community, to now fast forward a number of years and, and so much of the conversation, so much of the energy, so much of the thinking is based on having the sanctuary in good condition. Having the pulpit and the pews in the right place in the right order, and this is honestly, this is no criticism of Paul. This was just part of our dialogue. This is part of us, of working all of this out, because we're left asking the question: like, what if we didn't have all of these things? All of these things that we think are impossible to think of the church without. What if we didn't have them? And the reality is, if we're familiar with our with our story at all, if we are familiar in at all, with the, with the first 300 years of church history, God's people started out with any, without any of these things. They started out with any of the things that we've become, we have become so reliant on, that we have become so dependent on, and I can assure you that they did very well. Some of, the, some of the numbers we have, some of the statistics we have on the growth of the church between its inception until the first 300 years is phenomenal. And they didn't have all of the things that we, that we find it impossible to think of the church without. Again, it just, it's impossible not to be challenged by that. Because these people were called out. Holy Spirit came upon them in power and they were reminded of the calling of Jesus. Guys, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Wait for the, the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my called out people. You will be the ones called out for the welfare of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And they did it, they did it because we spent, and I think we'll come back here over the next number of weeks, they, they did it because they devoted themselves. And this word devoted, I think, will become important for us as we go on. Devoted themselves to teaching. And David's going to talk about it. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to one another. Nobody went without anything. They met in each other's homes. They laid everything down at at one another's feet so that nobody went without lack. That was was the power of the early church. That was the power of the spread of the good news, the gospel of the kingdom throughout throughout the known world. And And even today, today, I love being part of this church family because so many of you are familiar with people, with the the parts of the body of Christ, those that make up the bride of Christ in so many different parts of the world that have functioned without any of these resources that we're talking about. And you'll know, as I've mentioned a couple of times and more so to, to others uh, maybe I've got sick of me mentioning about this book that is f- almost finished. But part of the part of the excitement and part of the the the, the thing that kept me going throughout of, throughout all of this journey of writing this has been hearing the stories of the body of Christ in parts of the world where they have they don't have any of these resources that we think that we can't do without our sanctuaries and our pews and our buildings and our programs. But there's nowhere, there's nowhere I'm seeing multiplication like what we're seeing in these parts of the world. There's nowhere where I'm seeing seeing incredible fruit being born in in the Middle East and some of these places in the world that, that just don't have the resources that we've become so dependent on. And so that maybe seems like a big introduction, just to be, just to say that how we see is really important. When we look at the church and we we respond to the question of what is it you see, I think it's really important. And we want to talk about looking up this morning for a few minutes, and then as we go on, we want to talk about looking, looking around, and looking in. And I don't think we'll be able to help it, but to continue to talk about looking out. The stories, the challenge of looking out will just filter in as we go on these weeks and months. And so really quickly, looking up, I want to continue to challenge the idea for for those of us possibly in the room, but I want to challenge you to be ones that will challenge those in your sphere of influence because uh, there is a certain approach to the church that I find so unhelpful. There's an approach to church that I find is, like it is, dis- I feel like times it is destroying us. And it's when we approach the church as a consumer, or for me, possibly even worse, when we approach it as a critic, in the same way that a food critic makes his way to different restaurants and samples all that is on an offer and goes away and makes his judgment, somehow that has become part of the culture of our church. We become so, we become so, uh, become so orientated around self that we just come to consume and we come to critique. And if we don't get this, the experience that we, that we want, we'll try a different place. Like the, the, the art critic or the food critic don't like what I've tasted here, and so I'm going to go and try somewhere else until it meets my needs. And some of that seems really harsh, but I assure you I am restraining myself from saying more than I would love to say because it is killing us. I'm, I, I'm, I know it. Because I've seen it in me, I've seen it in how I whether I tolerate the church or whether I love the church, some of this stuff I have wrestled with, I tell you. Because the, the, I have approached the church as a consumer and the service has been like a performance. There's a Danish philosopher, maybe some of you will have heard of. He's a philosopher, theologian, Soren Kierkegaard. And Soren Kierkegaard it, compared the church and what in in his experience that how he watched the church, he compared the church to a theatre. The church was a theatre and so the so the people would come and they would sit in an audience to be entertained. They would sit in the audience and they would be entertained as they watched the actor perform on the stage. And depending on how the actor performed on this stage, they would give their approval through a round of applause or they would give their approval um, through whatever way, standing ovation, whatever it was. And if they didn't like it, they'd try somewhere else, they'd try a different theater or they'd try a different actor. And the reality is the church should be the opposite. The church should be the opposite because the, because God, so we think of what it is to look up. God is the audience for our worship. God is the audience. We are coming before an audience of one today. And we need to get away from the idea that you are the audience, that I am the one here performing, that Judith and Paul are here performing. You need to get, it, it's, it's the complete opposite. If anything, I like if we want to keep with the theatre analogy. I don't know all the terms, but I, like, I just want to be the the, the one on this on the side. I want to be the stagehand on the side that that is just that is just whispering and prompting us to give all that we can before an audience of one. God is the audience for our worship. And I truly believe, depending on where you are looking, we leave this morning. We leave this morning asking not, what did I get out of it, but was God pleased? And so that's how you know, I think that's how you know whether you're looking up or not. How well you're seeing I think this question will help you ask that. So you go and you get in your car and you drive home and you enter into a conversation around the dinner table. Depending on where you're looking. If you're looking at yourself as the, if you're looking at yourself as the audience. God love you if you're looking to me as the performer you'll walk away from here asking and pondering, what did I get out of that? Because we continue to ask the question, why bother? I, I, I want us to get to the place where every Sunday, every song we sing, everything that is spoken, every announcement that is given, every direction that we are heading in, Father, are you pleased? Was he pleased? Did he look, did, it was, as, he, as he looked back at us, Because remember, we talked about a few weeks ago. He is the God who sees me. And as we we make fix our attention on him, as we turn our eyes to him, be assured that he is looking back at us. And I'm wondering, does he see humility? I'm wondering, does he see a hunger? Does he see an honoring of one another? Because I can guarantee you that is what pleases him. So I know, like, I, I'd, love, I, I'd love to be a better communicator. I want, I'm, like, I, I'm desiring for that. That's what I want to do. But that's, that is not what's going to please him this morning. It's easier for me to talk about Judith and Paul. Judith and Paul are incredibly gifted singers and musicians. But actually, do you know what, guys? That's not what's going to please him this morning. That's not what's going to give him greatest satisfaction this morning. This is he looks upon us. Sees he a, a sees a sense of humility and a sense of hunger and a sense of honoring one another. That's what pleases him. And so I hope that that begins to shift, begins to challenge some of the mindset that we walk away from, not was what I got out of this, but was God pleased. And so my encouragement to you today is that you would look up. You would look beyond the songs. You look beyond the sermon toward Father in heaven. See, we 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 gather. as this ecclesia, These people, people of God, were called out, and so primarily we exist to worship Him. And so, if we fail in that, we we fail in that. It fails. And so, I want to keep. I want to keep pushing at this. I'd love us that we would be we would have the freedom to keep pushing at this, um, just completely common counter counter against the culture of church shopping. The culture of church shopping because what happens in that culture is we focus on the trappings. We focus on the programs. We focus on the performance. We focus on the professionals just to give you a third P and that not the goal of worship. And So it amazes me like I'm being self-reflected here. and It amazes me how quick we can wander from that question, how quickly we can wander from that goal. The goal is to worship him. The goal is to worship him. To encounter, we have this opportunity, we have this privilege, this freedom, this access to encounter living, speaking Abba. And we miss it. In this culture of church hopping in this approach of as consumer or as the service as our form of entertainment, my goodness, do we miss the goal of worship? And I just I want us to touch on how we look up, because I think when we get a glimpse of him, when we get a glimpse of him, it changes how we see everything else, I think. When we get a glimpse of him, it changes how we see everything else and everyone else. And that's why I cannot help but be so enthralled by Jesus. And I am so grateful that, I don't know, for me, I just, I I don't know how I missed it because I think I was so focused on the trappings. I was so focused on, uh, as a consumer, as a critic, that I missed that Jesus all along was reminding me that he revealed the Father. And so as I looked up, my, my, the tension for me was I looked up and for so long in my Christian experience was that Father, Father that God was this, this angry deity, but thank goodness that Jesus had got in the way. Jesus came to absorb his anger. Jesus was the good guy and God was the bad guy and somehow I got it all messed up. Because Jesus reminds me, he reminds us over and over again, if you want to see what he is truly like, if you want to see what Abba is really like, then look at me. And so now I cannot help but just watch in a a deeper way, in a more intentional way as I watch and witness how Jesus treats people and values people and honors people. It's in seeing that and catching a glimpse of that that I begin to realize this is what Abba is really like. This is the one that, that, that the goal for us as we gather is to worship him. So Jesus reveals what he is truly like. And so as we finish and the, and, and the guys are gonna come and, and, uh, and just lead us in, an, in another couple of songs, my prayer is that we would, that as we leave here today that we would just simply catch a glimpse of him. Because I think it'll be really important as we continue to ask this question, why bother? Because when we catch a glimpse of him and his heart and his purpose the eternal purpose of the ecclesia something that has been in his heart and on his mind for for all eternity and we are now the ones charged with living out this manifold wisdom to a watching world and I think it's really important that, that we fix our eyes on him that we look up we get a glimpse of him and it's going to change how we see everything and everyone else. So, Father, help us. Thank you for the freedom, the access to come before you. And we want to see this body and this bride as you see it. We want to give ourselves to it in the way that you have, in the way that you've invited us to. Challenge us, God, I pray you would show so challenge us, so provoke our minds and our thoughts. And in these closing moments that we have together, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would cause us to get a glimpse. Cause to get a glimpse of Father.